0: All right, I'm going to gather us back together again. Thank you for sharing that. Way to go. I love watching Phil share over here with these two little guys. Well done. Uh, hopefully you learned a little bit about uh, the people around you, which is great. Uh, I have to share, of course. My first real job was I was a lifeguard. Uh, I worked at Fond Villas Swim Club, which is just down the street from my parents' house in Houston. Uh, coincidentally, uh, the summer I worked there was the same summer that I came to Faith in Christ. It was, it was interesting how uh, God used that job in a way to impact me. Uh, as you know, in lifeguarding, you're supposed to be uh, guarding people, and you actually end up staring off into space quite a bit, or at least I did. And honestly, it was those kind of moments where I was um, not doing my job <laughs> that uh, I found a real openness in my heart uh, to what God was trying to say to me at that time in my life. I don't remember, though, hearing from uh, my church or from other leaders in my life how even the work I was doing as a 16-year-old at a pool, how that work matters to God. And maybe uh, you grew up a little similarly. Like, the church didn't really talk a whole lot about work, or maybe if we did, the church talked about, like, oh, pastor's jobs or youth leader's jobs or ministry jobs, um, that there was kind of that category, and then there was everybody else. Uh, We're going to do a little bit today to kind of tear that down, kind of demystify that a bit. Uh, I know it's a challenge, but the work that I do is no more holy and no more important, no greater importance to what God desires than your work. Like, what I do is great, I love my job, but it is actually not more elevated than the work that each of us has been called to do. And when I say work, I'm not just talking about getting a paycheck. Uh, A definition of work that I like a lot is whatever you do to bring flourishing to somebody else. So if you're a parent and you stay at home full time, That's your work. If you're retired and your job is to help care for your grandchildren, that's your work. Uh, As we're going to talk about at the end, uh, work then applies to all kinds of people. It can apply to people who have severe disabilities who might not otherwise get a chance to work. It can apply to students, right? So if you're in school, what you're doing to be educated and to grow actually is your work. So we're going to broaden that definition, we're going to look at how the scriptures talk about this. And the morning's gonna go a little bit differently than we normally do. Uh, For those of you that are visiting for the first time, so glad you're here. Uh, This is gonna be kind of more of a treat today than normal. Um, I'm actually going to be joined up here with a couple of people who've thought about their faith and their work. Uh, So we're gonna have a little bit of a panel discussion at the end. I wanna encourage you to stay engaged during that time because as we talked about this uh, before the service, these folks were sharing some wonderful words of wisdom that I hope will be a blessing to all of us. So uh, we're gonna start with this idea all work matters to God. All work matters to God. And if you're following along in your booklet or uh, if you have your constant booklet or if you have your your bulletin, this is a great time to kind of turn to that first section about creation. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter one. Right at the end of chapter one, all work matters to God and all work can potentially be used to give glory to God. That's actually a biblical concept. So let's start in Genesis 1.31, and I'm actually going to read uh, into chapter 2 through the third verse. So starting in Genesis 1.31. This is the creation account. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. If you're an artist, this probably resonates with you quite a bit. Creation is work. Creation involves work. God made everything each day. The scriptures tell us he worked. He made something new, something wonderful. He created the light. He created the separation from uh, the waters and the earth. And after all the work... God is doing is done, he rests. And that'll be something we get into in a later sermon in our series about the importance of rest. But creation is work. God worked. Now here's an interesting kind of note culturally from the time. The Bible uh, was written mostly in a time period uh, in the ancient Near East. And at that time, if you were a part of a religious tradition, if you were spiritual, the God that you worshipped did not work. It would have been scandalous to conceive of a God who worked. Work with something that people did, work with something that was kind of punishment. Like if you were conquered by another nation, you went to work for that nation. And so for the people of Israel, knowing that in their own creation story, their God worked, like it says he worked, that would have been remarkable and scandalous. It would have meant that God, in a way, came to be with people which we know now is reflected in Jesus Christ. But at the time, this would have been something nobody would have ever heard of before. God worked, work is part of God's good design. That's the big takeaway from this section. Work is present at creation. And if work is present at creation, that means it happened before the fall, before sin enters the world. And that means work at its core is supposed to be good. It's intended to be good. Some of us grew up uh, hearing that work was punishment for our sin, that work was something the human beings were supposed to suffer under. It's not. Not according to the Bible. The takeaway from this section is that God intended work to be good. So now we've got to talk about disruption. And this may be where some of us are thinking, okay, great, you're telling me that my work's supposed to be good. Keyword, supposed to. <laughs> my work is not good. You don't know about my job. You don't have to go to my office. You don't got to work with the people i got to work with. I want to quit. I'm done. That's the reality of the brokenness of work. So let's lean into that. If you hate your job, listen up. The best theological book I've read this year, and it's not just good theology, it's good practical, is Tim Keller's book on work, Every Good Endeavor. Anybody read this? So it's incredible. I mean, it is a biblical, wonderful account of why God cares about work, how it was intended to be designed. We're going to come back to this uh, as we talk with our panel in a little while. And Tim Keller wrote this with a woman named Catherine Larry Alsdorf. So Tim Keller is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Uh, Catherine Leary Alsdorf uh, was a woman who had an incredible career in Silicon Valley. She was an executive. She moved to New York City, took a different job, and felt God calling her to do ministry. And so she now runs uh, Tim Keller's Church's Center for Faith and Work. They study this, they try to help encourage and equip people in Manhattan to connect their faith and their work. I've encountered it through this Cascade Fellows uh, Faith and Work study group, and I would say it's biblical and it's really, really practical. And they devote a significant chunk of the book to this very question. Why do I hate my job? Why is work so hard? Why does work feel like toil? So we can connect this to two data points from Genesis. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve turn away from God. All of creation is fractured and broken. We've touched on this every single week because it's a monumental moment in the history of creation. People break away from God. Everything gets fractured. And as a result work, and family, and society, and cities, and everything else has been damaged, and it doesn't work like it's supposed to. That's just one of the witnesses of our scriptures, and work is part of that. Work becomes toil. Things start to break down. You see this in Genesis three seventeen when it talks about the thorns and thistles that come from the ground. That's what happens when people break away from God. There's another part of Genesis, though, that I want to draw our attention to. I'm actually going to read a short uh, passage from the book to help illustrate this, uh, this is from Genesis 11. If you want to turn there, you can. This is the account of the Tower of Babel. So listen to this from Genesis 11:2 through 4. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So here's where Keller and Alsdorf's commentary comes in. One of the reasons work is both fruitless and pointless, anybody relate to that? It is the powerful inclination of the human heart to make work and its attendant benefits the main basis of one's meaning and identity. When this happens, work is no longer a way to create and bring out the wonders of the created order, as John Calvin would say or to be an instrument of God's providence serving the basic needs of our neighbor, as Luther would say. Instead, it becomes a way to distinguish myself from my neighbor, to show the world and to prove to myself that I'm special. Babel is a pointed case study of the impossibility of building any collective endeavor, a society, a business, an organization, a movement that really works unless it is grounded beyond itself in God. That last phrase is worth repeating. Babel, the Tower of Babel, is a pointed case study of the impossibility of building any collective endeavor, any society, any business, any organization, any movement that really works unless it's grounded beyond itself. And it has to be grounded in God. If you're struggling with your job, if you're struggling with your office, with your workplace, if you're struggling as a parent, is your work grounded in something beyond you? Is it grounded in something beyond you? Is it beyond the marketplace, beyond this quarter's financial reports? Or are you experiencing, am I experiencing a sense of toil? Because like the people of Babel, I kind of want to make a name for myself. I kind of want to make this about me. If you have a pulse, you probably know this feeling. How are you and I employing our work? Are we making our work the basis of our meaning? Are we using it to justify ourselves? Are we doing what we do to prove something, right? So parents want to prove that our kids are the smartest kids on the block, right? Or I want to prove in my business that we have the best sense of what the market really needs and we're going to position ourselves as such. I want my school to be the best possible school. These are not bad things, but is that what keeps you up at night? Because if it is, that grounding may not be where it needs to be. We need to engage with the goodness of work and we need to ask these kinds of questions. And I love how this book raises these questions. And as I was thinking about this sermon this week, as we were talking about it at Teaching Team, we all realized it'd be one thing for those of us who have jobs in ministry to get up here and kind of talk through this stuff. It'd be so much more effective to invite people to come forward who really live in this world. So I'm gonna invite three of my friends to come up here with me. And if you guys wanna grab your chairs, they're right over there. hmm Joe, you're not in trouble yet. And then, Jesse, could you grab the microphone, please? All right. Thank you guys for coming up here. Uh, so I'm going to give these folks a chance to introduce themselves and tell you uh, how long they've been at Bethany and what do you do for work.
1: Hi there. I'm Jesse Birchman. I've uh, been at Bethany pretty much since the beginning on the east side here, uh, three years now uh, in Transportation engineer consulting firm that provides those services.
2: I'm Lindsay. Um, I've been coming to the Eastside campus for about just about six months, but um, Bethany probably about a year and a half. Um, I work at Microsoft. I'm an engineering program uh, manager over there on the cloud computing side.
3: Good morning. My name is uh, Joe Phillips, and uh, Teresa and I and our kids have been. Part of the East Side community here also from the beginning, um, same as Jesse or similar time frame. And um, I am a financial advisor.
0: All right. Uh, so we uh, have a couple of things that we want to go over. And the main thing uh, we want you guys to hear is how each of these folks has encountered uh, their calling and their sense of what God is doing uh, in each of their work. So we had a little conversation beforehand. Um, and Lindsay, if I could start with you, uh, just want to ask you about. Uh, your own sense of calling at your particular team at Microsoft. You talked about how being there and being someone who follows Jesus, there's a sense that God is maybe taking down the walls a little bit. You used that phrase. Can you talk about that in some of your interactions with your co-workers?
2: So um, uh, not many of my friends probably knows, but I'm, I'm pretty introverted. I was kind of actually talking about that a little bit this morning, but um, I get fearful about if I'm going to say something the wrong way, if I'm not going to, you know, if I'm going to make people uncomfortable. Um, and a lot of that Comes also with the political correctness of what can you talk about at work and what can you, um, what makes other people uncomfortable. And so a lot of times I'll bite my tongue. Um, but I, it's been a really exciting um, experience now that I've come moved out here and started working for Microsoft. Something that I didn't expect. So I wasn't going out and trying to evangelize or you know do things that would be the the no's that you're not supposed to do in meetings. Um, but instead, I, I, people were noticing uh, my faith, and they started asking me questions. So, but just a range. Like I got to learn a lot of the um, other believers on my team and um, go to church with some of them and have conversations about God at our table with non-believers, which has just been shocking. But I've also actually had lunch with um, one of the engineers. She's, uh, she's Hindu, and she was just curious about the Christian faith. And so she was having fun asking me about that. And the one that's been recent that's been fascinating is um, there's a gentleman that's on our team that he's one of those that can say everything just off the top of his mind. Uh, he's an atheist, and he's very proud of his atheism and, and all that is in that. But he's having fun looking up Bible verses and having conversations with me over e- email or pinging. And it's something I didn't expect, so I get excited about when I'm now going to work, which I wasn't excited about before. But now it's fun because I'm I'm having these conversations that makes me feel like, okay, God has a purpose for me here, and great.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when you think about faith and work, that's one of the things that uh, God just seems to be doing in your life. Joe, um, when we talked about reading Every Good Endeavor, which you and your small group did, Jesse, you're in that group, um, you talked about this freedom that you felt uh, related to the book. Can you talk about that a little bit and your
3: calling? Yeah, I got to say, reading uh, Every Good Endeavor was like that, that it was the most liberating book for me mm. as a Christian that I'd ever read because really throughout my career I've had these moments where I've got this, you know, guilt um that, you know, that I'm not, you know, working in the that I'm that I'm working in the secular secular, you know, where I'm I'm not, you know, working for a nonprofit or a church and I'm keep asking myself periodically, am I really, you know, am I really walking with Christ? Am I being mm. a good Christian if I'm, mm. you know, Working for a financial company, and like when I started out my career, I kind of did like a skills inventory. Asked myself, "What am I? What do I think I'm good at? What What would I enjoy? What would be meaningful to me?" And and it kind of took me to where I'm at. But um, in a lot of ways, it just really you know felt self-serving, and also just part of the culture that we're in. I think just Mm -hmm. being you know, I work for one of the big investment banks, and um, you know, just in our time and place right now, I think you know people. That do what I do. were just slightly more popular than politicians. <laughs> so, you know, there's just a lot of self-talk too there. I kind of buy into some of the, you know, negative thinking there too. And so I question myself a lot. Am I doing what I'm doing for the right reasons? But along the way, God kept putting people in front of me, mm-hmm. clients in front of me that um, convinced me that I should just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, no, I, I would ask God here and there to, you know, open if I'm not doing I mean I actually asked God if i'm if i'm if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, please make me fail like I don't want to mm. succeed at this if it's not mm. what I should be doing, and then I wasn't doing well for the longest time uh it took you know it's a hard profession to, to be good at, you know at least early on so I'm th- thinking, okay, well, this is it, but then no other doors opened up. I mean nothing was clear to me, and so he i I felt like I should just keep plugging away because along the way, like uh, along the path of you know lack of success, God kept putting people in front of me that I really felt needed good counsel from a spiritual lens. And, there, and I started to notice there's a big difference between, you know, helping someone with their money from a spiritual perspective versus mm. not mm. Really, show, really became um, apparent to me o- over the years. And, um, and, you know, when people are talking about these things, it's very personal to them. Mm-hmm. And being able to be a sounding board and hear them and l- hear their stories and empathize and provide the the right kinds of counsel that they need and, and a lot of you know Christian clients that want to have someone like mm-hmm. that too was so just along the way there were like those moments where I felt like i really i 'm probably where i 'm supposed to be and and then when things started to look rosier in my career um then it started to become more about um you know, if, if, if I'm, if I'm meeting with someone where maybe there's no financial gain for me, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe they're just starting out, Mm -hmm. then I can really completely put the guilt aside because I know I can help this person and there's nothing in it for me. Mm -hmm. And then it was, it's even easier to, to just help them and to put that before God as, as an offering. Um, that's great.
0: That's great. Thank you. Uh, can we pass the mic to Jesse? Jesse, um, you're an engineer, you work at an engineering firm, so uh, many of the folks in the room are going to resonate. I know a lot with what you have to say, but talk about um, how in your field uh, the commitment to uh, having some kind of high standards has actually led to some some really positive results where you are
1: um, th- so in my in my field I uh, end up working with both a lot of public agencies as well as uh, you know private uh, parties and developers and um, much of uh, what we do in in especially the development side there's a lot of opportunity to to try and shade uh, and characterize uh, you know technical numbers and technical results in a way that um, is frankly more beneficial for uh, you know the client at the end of the day um and being in a consultant uh, type field that's that's definitely a pressure that uh, shows its itself every now and then um but I I'm, I'm fortunate enough to work for a firm that actually does have fairly high uh, ethical standards um and you know it's been around long enough at this point that I really at the end of the day you know feel that a lot of the success that we have and the integrity that we have and the ability to and the support of you know the management and ownership of the company to be able to tell clients you know we're, we're not able to ultimately you know give you the answer that you want um and uh, is, is something that's really been beneficial. It's, it's something that is not necessarily directly um, evangelizing uh, in the workplace, but uh, it's something where each person and each staff member and many of my coworkers I, you know over the years have learned um, and have gotten to know uh, are Christian. Um, and then I think a lot of that ends up pervading much of mm-hmm. the company as a, as a result. We've been fortunate enough to be successful and to have a long uh, long run at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we're glad for that. Uh, I want to turn us now, we've talked about hope uh, a little bit through what you guys have been saying about uh, hope uh, that God is freeing you from guilt, as you vulnerably said, um, to be called to what you're doing. Hope in the way that you're you're talking with folks and walls are coming down. Hope through uh, keeping ethical standards actually do matter. Like there's something to that. Uh, I want to turn us now to uh, a scripture passage that Phil read for us. Uh, This is Colossians 3.23, but I'm going to read it from the message, and we'll just uh, respond to that for just a moment. So uh, let's listen to this. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you will get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Uh, How would you guys respond to that? How do you work as unto Christ and not just working for our own promotion, for our own sense of of self-fulfillment? What does that look like uh, in the places where you work?
1: Well, I know for me at the end of the day, um, you know, I I do hold myself to to that standard. Uh, as a consultant, it often means working very long hours uh, at some at different seasons uh, for a very long time. Um, while also recognizing though that there are challenges, and I frankly only have so much time to give. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that margin uh, can be very thin sometimes, and ultimately ends up affecting that work and the quality of the work that I do. So. Really, the that passage mostly speaks to the fact that um, you know you you have amount to give. It can be used, and it can be used well, mm-hmm. um, but there can be too much as well, yeah.
0: um, and too little. Lindsay, can you talk a little bit about a, a mentor you have and how that person has kind of helped you see um, this connection between serving Christ and and doing work that is really surprising you in some ways? Like, how's your mentor helping you see through that?
2: Um so I uh joined a group uh, a discipleship program called Cascade Fellows and I was able to meet um a gentleman that was a part of the senior fellows program that also had used to work at Microsoft had a lot of a similar life all like all the years that he'd been there and then went to other companies and I got to learn a lot from his experience and um he gave me the ability to meet with him biweekly to try to get to pick his brain because one of the things that I struggle with which I'm sure some of you can relate is I didn't apply for my job. I didn't expect to get it. It hasn't been my dream job. I I studied pre-med in college. I didn't expect to be an engineering program manager. Where did that come from? That's just <laughs> from my problem of making too many lists. Um, and so I, it was something that kind of fell on my lap and I, I didn't wake up each day excited to go to work. I was thinking like, I shouldn't be here. I should be somewhere else. Why am I doing this? Um, I must be missing something. And you know, Ezra was saying like, I, maybe I, I should fail at this. I should just fail at this, and um, and so I could see myself actually dropping down on the work that I was doing. And when I was meeting with a mentor, um, his name is Jeff. He he gave a, a great point. He said God has a purpose for you in everything you do, and you look at each day as they come, and instead of like I sh- just me trying to overthink it and say you know, I shouldn't be here. I should look at, okay, today, this is where God has me. I should work to his glory because people will see that they will recognize that and there's a purpose for it. Um, And it's just, I mean, it was just a, a great way that now I'm looking, I started seeing these people start talking to me about God, which I didn't expect. And I think it can be a ripple effect of what how we are performing in our position and then how we interact with others. And uh, it makes the days much more exciting because I'm like, well, what's God going to throw on my plate? What kind of email am I going to get today? Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Uh, I want to transition us now to kind of our final uh, topic. Um, As we get to the end of this discussion about faith and work, there's so much more to say, but I would imagine that all of you have had moments like this because I know I have and maybe some of us in the room are at this place right now. Uh, What would you say to someone who is just in that place of like, I'm done. I, I'm finished. I know God cares about my work. That's great. I, I got to go. I'm done. Um, with all due respect to people who have already made that decision, like what's a word of encouragement maybe that you've taken from Tim Keller's book, or just from your thoughts about faith and work, um, how would you encourage someone that's really needing some
3: hope? Well, I know that for me, um, you know one of, the, uh, pe- one, of the, uh, one part of the book in, uh, in every good endeavor, Keller makes the point that even if we are in the exact occupation that God has in mind for us there's still going to be those moments where we want to give into capitulation we want to quit we're frustrated there's parts of you know the job that are just really difficult and um and you know we 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 get the reminder you know here at Bethany that you know we live in a fallen world and that's just the the reality in which we live and so um just remembering that for me is is beneficial because you know even if I'm you know if I were to switch and go to a different job um, who's to say that that would be any better than the, than the one that I'm in now and uh, you know I you hear that you know that phrase the grass is always greener on the other side you know I've seen so many people switch jobs going somewhere else that they think is going to be better and it's not necessarily and then they regret it and so um, What I keep telling myself in any case is to live life with open hands, ask God for help, um, ask him to open the doors that he would have me walk through and close the ones that he would have me avoid, Hmm. and to just trust him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes trusting him means just waiting. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, the Bible gives us all kinds of stories of, you know, how long... God makes us wait sometimes before He tells us what He wants us to do, and so sometimes it's just about not doing anything, waiting, and um, and then God will will reveal the path on, in His own time. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just you know, just you know, not trying to force it. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is hard to do.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, Lindsay, you had kind of an observation about Solomon related to that.
2: So uh, I, I I struggle with that exact <laughs> situation because. Mm-hmm. Um, Like I was describing earlier, Um, and one thing that uh, actually through other conversations with other Christians that I was speaking with and bringing up um, this challenge that I was facing, um, one brought up the 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 viewpoint of Solomon uh, that he didn't pray for just give me the answers, just you know make it happen. He prayed for discernment, Mm -hmm. and that was really huge Mm because it. I was thinking, okay, I need to trust where I'm led to make my decisions. And I need to trust the decisions that I've made. And if I pray to the Lord and ask for discernment, I I need to be able to have faith and trust that he's going to have the Holy Spirit drive me Mm -hmm. to that direction so I can be confident in the the decisions that I make. Um, Whether it is to leave, uh, to look elsewhere, to look for the open doors, Mm -hmm. or um, facing the closed doors that you you encounter, um, that discernment is something that you can trust because as believers, the Holy Spirit does enter our hearts. And he will guide us through the Holy Spirit. And that is just amazing yeah. comfort to know that.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Jesse, any final thought?
1: Uh, th- just kind of taking off on that a little bit. Um, I know that, and I've been fortunate enough that I think a lot of the major life decisions, including career and education and things such as that, um, I've been able to and it, um, ultimately just kind of look at what's, what's in front of me. Um, if, am I uncomfortable in a situation? Am I stressed? Am I... Completely burnt out. Um, those those speak to you uh, essentially a need and and can speak to uh, what God is calling you in combination with those opportunities that are before you. Um, and you know ultimately God gives you know gives discernment both through uh, the influence of the Holy Spirit as well as the community around us. That's one of the, mm-hmm. the great things um, that you know I know that I found here in the East Side mm-hmm. um, both through reading this book, small group chatting uh, out in the lobby at, you know, before and after the service. Um, there's, there's a lot of wisdom uh, and a lot of guidance that God reaches in and helps in those types of
3: situations.
0: Well, I want to thank you all for coming up here. Will you join me in thanking these guys for spending their time here? Thank you. You can go sit. Thank you, guys. OK. You've heard from the experts. I do want to encourage you uh, that that book is worth reading and worth getting. This wasn't an advertisement for that. Tim Keller's doing fine. But it's really, really helpful. Uh, I want to offer one kind of final highlight uh, and one kind of picture of hope as we talk about what it means to see God's fulfillment in our work, to know that God is satisfied. God is thrilled when we work and serve him in our various vocations, right? And even if that means you're going through a season of toil right now, I hope you felt encouraged by what those folks had to offer. Um, A great encouragement uh, I received a while back uh, just about work is that we work with the end in mind. When people of faith come to work each day, we don't just work to accomplish the things that are in front of us that day, we do. But we work knowing that the end, which belongs to Jesus Christ, is something that we can focus on, something that can give us hope. So what that looks like, I just want to share briefly with you. This is Revelation 22, uh, and I'll read verses 3 through 4. This is a picture of what is to come. This is a picture of what Jesus is bringing in his fullness. This is the new Jerusalem. This is how heaven will look. Nothing accursed will be there anymore. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night they need no light of lamp or sun for the lord god will be their light and they will reign forever and ever the work of heaven is at the very end of verse 3 his servants will worship him i'm at my best when i think about the coming king the coming of the kingdom and that there are ways for us in each of our roles to express that there are ways for us to paint a picture for other people who don't yet know Jesus, that there's something coming that is way bigger than the Christmas bonus. There's something coming that is way bigger than that huge vacation package. And it's the kingdom. It's the, it's the making all things right and new. And we can see examples of this in our world if we look for it. I grew up in Houston, and my church uh, worked with a community called the Brookwood community. You can Google this. And there are communities like this all around the world where people with severe disabilities have the opportunity to work. They have the opportunity to engage with the goodness of work. The Brookwood community uh, is an arts community, and so folks with uh, Down syndrome and just different uh, difficulties will go there, and they'll work with folks to create things. And I have this uh, hanging in my office. It's a beautiful uh, scripture, and a car- it's a, um, kind of a sculpture. I'm, I'm not finding the right word right now, but this was made by someone who would otherwise not have a chance to work. The Brookwood community and other places like it are communities where people who would otherwise not have the chance to work get a chance to work and tap into their creative potential given to them by God. I would like to think that people who love Jesus Christ create places like the Brookwood community. And they do this all over the world. Henry Nowen was part of one called Larsh. These places exist so that people can understand and experience the dignity of work. And I think that's a glimpse of the kingdom that everybody, every tribe, tongue, and nation comes before the throne and the work of worship is lifted up to our God and that's the end. Like, that's fade to black. That's how it goes. And we see glimpses of that in places like the Brookwood community. And as you go to your work tomorrow, tomorrow morning or whenever your work starts, remember that you can be a part of that. Remember that God has called you to where you are. God has equipped you to build something tremendous. It doesn't necessarily have to look like the Brookwood community but it will give someone a glimpse of that joy and that dignity and that fulfillment that work is supposed to do because work is good and God cares about our work. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you in your goodness to us said that work is good and that people can be involved in your good work. And so we pray now that as we prepare our hearts to engage once more in the work of worship, of praising you, that you would continue to speak to us. For those of us that are just, we're hanging on by a thread. We're just barely there in our work, or we're just barely there parenting, and it's just been a struggle. Would you lift those burdens from us even now? We don't deserve it. We, we can't say the right things or do the right things to earn that freedom, but through Jesus Christ, we know it can come. And within that freedom, let us use our work, our calling, our vocations, to serve you, to build beautiful examples of your kingdom, like the Brookwood community, where people who might not otherwise have a chance to serve and to create beautiful things have a chance to do that. Give us dreams, give us visions for how that can play out in each of our lives, in our neighborhoods, in the schools that our children go to. We trust you for this, Father, even though we can't see it yet. Bring your vision of good work to life in our community. We ask this in the name of Christ, amen.